For those of you who were here last week, you were the pioneers, and uh, then you guys who are here this week are the early adopters, and so we're bringing our seats uh, into a horseshoe so you can all see each other, and you can all see me, and the people on the front rows can all be spat upon. So uh, please do bring them in, bring yourselves in. This is uh, not one of those like kind of optional things. If it was possible to set it up for the whole of our gathering, we would do it. So please kind of bring them in, squeeze in. If you guys who are kind of sitting, if you pull yourselves forward, please, everyone, and just kind of come in and bunch in. The whole idea is that everybody can see everybody. As I said last week, if you, if you weren't here, the, the aim is that uh, the ideal place for me to be standing would be smack bang in the middle around where Pamela is, with you guys gathered all around. We want to break open God's word in our midst. So come on in. I can see us. We're getting tempted to stay in rows, okay? We're not traditional, are we? We're not traditional. Come on forward. Come forward, please. There's seats down here. Wow, I'm genuinely amazed at how comfy some of us are in rows, <laughs> you know, or how uncomfortable with, with a little bit different some of us are. But, you know, in, in case you weren't here last week, the, 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 what I was saying about this, this is really good. Dan actually said to me, Dan, our youth worker, um, who unfortunately is leaving us as youth worker in a few weeks' time, but is going to be staying in the church. And he said to me that one of the things that he noticed last week was how somebody was on Facebook on their phone, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been any of you guys who are in here this morning, but somebody was on Facebook, and then they suddenly realized that because of how we're sitting, everybody could actually see that they were on Facebook, and so they quickly switched off Facebook. You know, there is a reason to be on Facebook, and it is if, like, you are Facebooking live, or if you are, like, putting in a quote because you feel that God is speaking to you so much. Other than that, I literally cannot think of any reason why you would need to be on the internet in the next 40 minutes or the next 35 minutes, or whatever it is. You know, there really is no need. But it was quite interesting that Dan said, somebody else said to me, and by the way, I've only had positive comments about uh, this setup. Somebody else said to me, or a, a few people said, we should keep it like that, apart from the temperature in the building. Guys, if you can come down, the folks on the sound desk, and, and Donna, if you come down as well. But, but people said, you had to really think about how you looked during this time. Because let's take Phil, for example. If Phil is given to looking disinterested, sleeping, just like he can't really be bothered to be here, now suddenly all of you guys can see him, okay, which is why you kind of middle to late adopters who have stayed in rows at the back, we are really wanting to work on on, on this spreading out so we're not sat in rows anymore, we are a community and at the center of our community is Jesus and at the center as we try and understand Jesus and walk with Jesus, we break open his word, this is incredibly important, I said last week how um, in kind of in more traditional churches and sometimes we might be tempted to scoff at kind of icon and statues and stained glass windows and those sorts of things. But actually, they were there to tell a very important story in a non-literate 
um, in other words, in a non-literate time. And, and how we set up church tells us a lot about our theology. To, and, and by that, I mean it tells us a lot about what we believe about God. And, and actually, what I believe about God personally... Okay, is that God wants to speak to us and through us, that he wants to speak to me and through me, and, that, and at the center of this is Jesus, that we are trying to break open God's word, which testifies to Jesus in our midst. But the way that we very, and that we are a community when we do this, and we thought about that last week, but the way that we very often do it is in our own little bubble. So we could have, I don't know, sometimes maybe 150 adults, I don't know, I I literally don't know, I'm not that bothered. Um, But we could have 150 or 200 or however many people it is, but they're all just in their little bubble. So we got Sean's bubble, and we got Jennifer's bubble, we got Charles' bubble, and and, and it isn't a community, it's just 150 um, isolated bubbles. But that isn't what God calls us to, is it? No. <laughs> I don't believe it is. I don't believe that Scripture teaches that it is. If you think that is what God calls us to, then I would love you to go away, read the Bible, come back to me and say, this, Nick, is why I think that's what God calls us to. Okay? I don't think you'll be able to do it. I don't think you'll be able to convince me away from it. But part of my walk with Jesus is that I need to be open to you convincing me of that fact. And I hope that you are open to me seeking to convince you to the contrary, if that is what you believe. So we are going to break open the Word of God in our midst as we seek to figure out what it means to be that community who, as we thought about last week, were devoted to God, were devoted to teaching about Jesus, were devoted to each other, were devoted to communion, were devoted in so many ways. And I'm going to read just a very short passage from the end of Acts chapter 4. And then I think next week we're going to be going back into whole chapters. So Acts chapter 4 and verse 32 says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great nickname to have, by the way, isn't it? Son of encouragement. I won't ask what some of our nicknames were at school or perhaps what they still are, but that is a nickname to aspire towards, son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Lord Jesus, as we break open your word together and as in these next few minutes you use me to to try and speak timeless truth into our context, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would inspire both my words and all of our hearing in order that we might love you more and follow you more closely. 
Amen. Right, I, this is like one of those questions. This is a genuine, you need to answer this, please. Just with a, a raised hand. Who is trying to love God? Okay, put your hand up high if you're trying to love God. Who would like to love God more? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you would like to love God more. Fantastic. Right, okay, that was the, I was hoping that was going to happen. I wasn't going to bother with anything else uh, if it wasn't. You see, this morning um, we're talking about money. And this morning we're talking about financial giving. And this morning we are going to think a little bit about what the Bible teaches us about our money and about our financial giving. And the reason that I had to ask first up, first up was, you know, did, do you love God? Do you want to love God more? It's because that is at the absolute heart of what this is all about. And, and if you didn't love God and if you didn't want to love God more, then there would be no point in me continuing. This is one of those sermons, okay, this is one of those talks. I find sermon a little bit kind of just, well, oh, sugar. Um, hey, I'm quite pleased that I said sugar just then. <laughs> Um, this, is one of those, this is one of those talks that I envisage, okay, leaving some of you feeling slightly awkward, okay? The study for this, and, and, and I have been thinking about this for months, okay? And I've been aware with some of the practices in my own life when it comes to financial giving that this is coming up and I need to be evaluating myself in this whole area. But this is one of those that like, leaves you potentially feeling slightly awkward. At the, at the, at the outset, I want to say uh, I hope that in some way the Holy Spirit might convict each of us through this, but that it is the Holy Spirit doing the convicting. But also, you must not feel guilty, okay? I want us to differentiate right at the outset between guilt, which I don't believe comes from God, and conviction, which I believe come believe comes from the Holy Spirit. I have sat, and I could literally take you to the place in some sermons and talks where I have literally been squirming and wanting to get out of there because I know that the Holy Spirit was convicting me. Okay, and in some ways, I think that this might be one of those sermons because let's face it, we don't like to talk about money. We don't like to talk about money. We don't like. I, I was reading an article in the Guardian during the week that was talking uh, about just how how British people don't want to talk about money. We don't want to talk about how what we earn. We don't want to talk about uh, what we spend. We don't want to talk about how much we give. Any of these things, as British people, we don't do it. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on is this that. That, that my style of leadership, I believe, is, is a very personal sort of style. I, I love Paul's words in one of his letters, I can't remember which one, where he says, we loved you so much that we not only uh, shared the gospel with you, but we shared our very lives with you. That is how I seek to do leadership. You know, I, I, I seek to hug, I seek to high five, if a, you know, I seek to do life with people and in my teaching, um, uh, something that I believe God has called me to do, I'm incredibly personal. Okay, and, and that works for some people and that's great. So I feel that at the very outset, I want to say a little bit to you about my own giving, not in order to, um, not in order to build myself up because we know that the scriptures teach us not to do that. I don't, you know, there are scriptures that say, you know, don't let your right hand know what the left is doing. And so some of you might say, well, you shouldn't say anything about it. But I always say to you that whenever I'm speaking, 
that I'm speaking it myself as well. And that is very much the case here. What I want to do at the outset this morning is say, here is how I go, how we go about our giving. Then I'm going to look at the whole principle of giving and then give some advice on that. Now, the way that we give... um, some of you could argue against it, okay? Because at the outset, I want to say uh, that the, the principle that we've adopted in our marriage is to start with a tithe, okay? So uh, one-tenth of everything that comes in goes straight back out, and it goes straight back out to the local church, okay? That's, that's our belief, you, you know? And again, this is where I'm saying people can have all sorts of debates over this sort of thing. You can find lots of, lots of people who say, well, actually, tithe is an Old Testament principle. I think it is. Some people would say that Jesus doesn't uh, continue to teach it. I think that maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. He, he certainly says um, to the Pharisees, remember, who are tithing everything fastidiously, he says, don't forget, forget about justice and mercy. They are the more important things. You should do them. But he also says, whilst not leaving the other thing undone. So arguably, some would say that Jesus advocates a tithe. But it's never spelled out, you know, in the sort of language you, you and I want to know, because we are of this sort of generation. Is it spelled out in black and white? And the simple answer is no, it isn't. So we start with a tithe, but that isn't, that isn't all. At, at the moment, we have raised the level that we kind of give to more than a tithe, but less than 15%, if that makes sense. So a tithe, for those of you who don't know, is, is 10%. Okay, so, so periodically we will look at our giving and we'll say, should we be giving more? You know, could we be giving more? And, um, and, and, and we'll say, okay, yeah, actually we could. And at the beginning of this year, knowing this was coming up, I wanted to say, I, you know, I sat down with Karen and I said, look, I want us to pray about giving more. So we start off, that is our basic. Then the next thing that we will do is like we'll give to things occasionally. And so like if sports relief or something is on, you might chuck a hundred quid to sport relief or you might give to uh, the bike appeal at Christmas or, uh, or the um, unity grill thing for my birthday last year. Um, and I got a unit, my, my birthday money just went to the unity grill and the year before it went for one of the bikes and that sort of thing. And the reason again for telling you that is not to big me up. Actually, it's a terrible thing about me. I love money. You know, I know that I could get really into money if I didn't actually give it away even when I don't want to. I didn't want to give away my birthday money. I didn't want to, well, I kind of wanted to and didn't want to buy a bike for the bike appeal, but I knew that in order to try and break the potential hold that money has on me, I should go without something in order that some... Is that kind of, I don't quite know how to finish the sentence. But so, so we will do occasional things like that, sport relief, etc., etc., where we'll give money to something, but that doesn't then get taken out of what we give to the work of our local church. Because as I've said, that is one of our important principles that we give for us a minimum of 10% to the work of the local church. And then there's a third area, and that is just like that when we're praying, uh, hopefully at times we're saying, God, are you saying anything to me? And sometimes God does. Sometimes God says to you, I want you to give money to X. And you go, oh, that must have been that curry I had on Friday night with the guys. Because God would never, no, but, but you know, you try and convince yourself that God isn't saying it, but then eventually you realize that he is. And so you do that. And once again, that doesn't come out of the ongoing giving to the work of the local church. Guys, I wanted to tell you about that because I'm your brother, I'm your friend, and because I believe it is so important 
that you know that this te- I am sitting squirming under this teaching as well. I am sitting here going, oh, you know, I wish it didn't say that or I wish I wasn't convicted of that. I am not saying it to big myself up. I could give, I could give so much more. I want slash don't want to give so much more. But the reason that we think about this this morning, the reason that we, it's important that we think about it this morning and that you know that this is not me coming at you from that kind of, I'm the minister and I have to say this and, and all of that sort of thing. It's because actually it's something that God says to all of us and it, that is at the heart of Christian discipleship. Do you know that the Bible speaks about money and possessions more than any other topic except love? Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than anything except for the kingdom of God. (laughs) And I came across this quote during the weeks. Poor stewardship is dangerous for you. Between 25 and 50% of church attenders give nothing or next to nothing. And then they said this. And this is why it's so great. This morning, we are, not, we are not on a financial drive here at Southside. We are not trying to build something or employ someone or, or do anything like that. This is just discipleship. Okay, and I'll come to that in a moment. There is not going to be a special offering afterwards. This is, uh, but, but, but the fact is that if between 20 and f- 25 and 50% of church attenders give nothing or next to nothing, and as the person then said, this is not a financial but a spiritual one. God is a giver. Our willingness to give reveals our relationship to God. And so what I said about my, ours, you know, that was just to kind of share with you and give some stuff. You know, I'm not here this morning going to say you need to give this much, that much. I'm just going to set out, first of all, four things uh, that giving is about. And then after that, there's going to be just really quickly six kind of practical tips for how you might want to go about it. And the first thing is this, that giving is in response to God. Giving anything, but in the, in the context of this morning, let's, I, I don't want to like fudge around this. We are not talking about giving our time and giving our, you know, our, our opportunities and using our houses. We are talking about money this morning, okay? Finance, cash, whatever it happens to be. That is what we are talking about this morning. And, and, and the first thing to remember is this, that giving, financial giving, is in response to God and to who God is. Because God is the greatest giver. That, that is one of the reasons that we took communion this morning, was to remind ourselves before we talked about finance, before we thought about finance, that God has already given us the greatest gift ever in Jesus and the salvation that you and I have because and only because of him. I, I read this quote in a, co- in a commentary on Matthew during the week. It says this, Jesus' arrival in history to initiate the salvation of his people from their sins surely requires that we give ourselves to him. Mutual self-sacrificial giving is derived from the implication of the sacrifice of the incarnation. When we think about giving, the first thing that we should think about is who is God? And when we look at God, he is constantly, consistently, from the very beginning of time, a giver, an extravagant giver. C.T. Studd, who is a great uh, Christian writer, he said this, if Jesus Christ is God, and if Jesus Christ died for me, then no sacrifice can be too too great for me to make for him. 
Isn't that true? And, and, and so that's why we start this morning with communion and with this reminder of who God is. He is the giving God again and again and again. He is the giving God in this absolutely fantastic book, which I really recommend. Now, it, by R.T. Kendall, it was written in 81. You can't buy it on Amazon New anymore, but you can probably like, you know, buy it for pennies somewhere or, or have a look. I, I think that it actually got shared under its last title, which was something to do with tithing or something. R.T. Kendall advocates tithing in this book. Even if you don't agree with tithing as the principle, um, then I would encourage you to read it because all the, the, the key focus on it is this. You cannot outgive God. God is the greatest giver. And, and, and in fact, just sorry to throw something in about a tithe. Did you know, and I think the answer to this is probably no, Nick, we didn't know because I didn't know until earlier this week, that a tithe in the Old Testament was actually about 23%. Okay, oh, Margaret knew, and Isabel clearly knew as well, because she was mouthing at me. A tithe in the Old Testament, they tithed on two different things, and every third year they tithed on another thing. So, like, it was like 20% one year, and then every other year, uh, sorry, every three years it was an extra 10%. So it was about 23%. So don't kind of, you know, I, I've been really challenged, because actually I don't tithe. I don't tithe on the old, old, print, old Testament principle of tithing. But anyway, that's a, a slight aside. I recommend that book by R.T. Kendall. But the point is this. Our giving is, in, is out of um, awestruckness at who God is. Our giving is out of amazement at who God is. He gave everything for us. So first of all, our giving is always in response to God. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus, if you are not uh, trying to walk with him, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit and trying to grow in relationship with God, then I think it would be great if you gave. And we see people, such generous people all around the world, many of them far more generous than any of us. But please, you can almost discount a lot of what I'm saying this morning because this is very much kind of a talk um, aimed, if you like, at those who are saying yes to Jesus. I am walking with Jesus. The first thing is that our giving is in response to God. The second thing is this, that giving is simply, and I put it in my own note, that simply in inverted commas, because there's nothing simple about it, but giving is simply giving back to God what is already his. So in Psalm 24 verse 1, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. Psalm 89 verse 11, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Psalm 104 verse 24, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, not our possessions. The earth is full of God's possessions, the stuff that is already his. Job 41 verse 11, who has given to God that I should repay, who has given to me, says God, that I should repay him for whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. That's God speaking. Whatever is under the heaven, everything in the world is mine. First Chronicles and chapter 29, various verses here, it says this, uh, wealth and honor come from you. This is King David saying this just before he dies. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Everything comes from you. And we have given you, listen to this, this is after the people of Israel give for the building of the temple. And King David says this, we have given you only what comes from your hand. All of it belongs to you. And then Hebrews 2 verse 10, for whom and through whom everything exists. And then my personal favorite, 
you are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He's talking about sexual immorality, but I believe it just spans across so many areas. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, with your life, with your money, with everything. So the first thing about giving is that it is, it, that it is in response to who God is. The second thing, though, about giving is that it, it is simply, so to speak, giving back to God what is already his. The third thing is this, that giving is part of discipleship. Okay? That's why I said, who loves Jesus? Who wants to grow more with Jesus? If you said yes to the wanting to grow more with Jesus, that essentially means that what you're saying is you want to grow as a disciple. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus. You want to grow in the image of Jesus. You were made in the image of God. Everybody, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Made in the image of God. But now through faith in Jesus Christ, which is God's gift to you, you are growing in the image of Christ. N.T. Wright says this, the habit of giving, of giving generously, is not an extra option for, the, for keen Christians. Okay? It is absolutely obligatory on all because our whole calling as followers of Jesus, our whole calling is to reflect God the creator. And the main thing we know about this true God is that his very nature is self-giving and generous love. If you're a disciple, if you are somebody who wants to, to grow to be more like Jesus, then you will grow into giving. You might not be there yet. Many of us probably aren't there yet. But if you are, and it, or if you want to be a disciple, and that is the only sort of Christ follower that the Bible talks about, a disciple, not just a convert, a disciple, then you will grow in giving. And then the final thing is this, and please don't hear this wrong, but giving leads to blessing. And, and, and I'm not, this is not, I, I was talking to somebody about it during the week and I said it's not cause and effect as such. It's not like saying, oh, if you give a hundred pounds or if you give 400 pounds a month, then God is going to give you 400 pounds back. Sometimes that happens. This week, actually, something happened to me where there was something that I had given and it meant that I was going to go uh, without, it, it, was, it was so trivial. I wasn't going to be able to fix something of my own that was broken, okay? And had been broken for a few, and I was looking forward to getting it fixed. Literally... I, I, I tried to respond faithfully to God in the whole area of giving something. And the next day, all of the stuff that hadn't worked to fix my broken thing suddenly worked. And, and you might say, well, that's just chance. That's just, that's just fluke. And, and feel free to say that if you want. But to that, I would say, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. I tried to respond faithfully to what God asked me to do with some money, some cash. Remember, we're, only we're talking about money this morning. And God, I believe, blessed me as a result of that. Many of you will have similar stories where, where you have given something and something has come back. It doesn't mean it's exactly the same amount. For some people it is. And the, and the only ones that we hear about at conferences, let's face it, are, I gave a thousand pound and a thousand and one pound got given back to me. 
Okay, you know, there's probably one in ten testimonies of that. There would be a hundred testimonies in this room, I reckon, of people who have given. They haven't necessarily seen uh, the, the money back, but they have felt a sense of blessedness in their hearts. In Malachi, that Old Testament uh, passage that, that talks about tithing, and that a lot of you might base your uh, decision to tithe on if that is your starting point uh, for your Christian giving. But, but it says... Uh, Give the tithe to me and see, test me in this. See if I won't pour open the floodgates of heaven on you. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were going to get all of their grain back and all of that sort of thing back. But it means I am going to bless you if you are faithful to me with what is already mine. In 2 Corinthians in chapter, uh, in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, it says this. Uh, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And it's this idea of blessing. It does not mean, this is not health and prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and you're never going to be hungry. Come to Jesus and you're always going to have money in your bank. That is not what this is about. But it is saying that when you give, when you give, God will bless you. I'm just not going to nail down exactly what that blessing is going to look like. So they are like the four things, if you like, that, that talk about, um, you know, the reasons for giving. We give in relationship to who God is, in response to who God is. We, we give back to God what is already his. Giving is part of our discipleship. It's part of our growing to be more like Jesus. And giving leads to blessing. And then what I want to do just over the last few minutes is I just want to race through uh, some things. I want you to turn, if you would, to Second uh, Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I'm not going to read them all out just now, but I would really encourage you. Cheers, mate. Uh, I'd really encourage you to, to get into these passages when it comes to giving. There is so much more. We could spend so long on this, but there are just some principles for giving that I want to suggest to us this morning if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, if you want to live out of everything that Jesus has done for you. And so the first one is this, give generously. Give generously. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, it says this, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul is talk- talking to people who had nothing. They were going, uh, or about, sorry, people who had nothing. They were going through a difficult financial time. Famine, I think it was, if my mi- memory serves correct, but I can't, I can't 100% remember. But the point is this, their giving was generous. Okay, you know it says in scripture, uh, why would we sacrifice to God something that cost us nothing? Give generously. Give generously. You know, giving is not just about putting a couple of quid when you can afford it into the, into the buckets as they go around. Giving generously is what reflects the heart of God because God is a generous giver. The second thing is this, give sacrificially. And this is where it starts to get a little bit more challenging for us because then Paul says in verse 3 of that same chapter, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. That's the first part. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Or if you were to flick into Luke chapter 21 and you look at the widow, the widow's mite as we call it, and she's putting a few coppers in to the offering and Jesus says, she gave everything. 
She gave generously, but she didn't just give what she could afford. She gave what she couldn't afford. Now, you will read in these passages in 2 Corinthians as well, Paul saying, I'm not asking that any of you kind of give yourself into poverty in order that other people are rich. I'm looking for equity, equality. But surely part of growing together as a church family means that many of us could, if we love Jesus, do much better when it comes to sacrificial giving. I came across this quote. Jesus calls his followers, this is so challenging. Jesus calls his followers to acts of giving that war with our psychology of personal safety, that violate social norms, that extend beyond self-interest. This is hard to do because we battle all of these psychological, social, and economic instincts that have become programmed into our decision-making DNA. You know, as I said, I'm speaking at the Youth Weekend away in a few weekends' time, and there's a quote that is just buzzing around around my mind as I prepare and think about that weekend, and it is this, that God cares more about your significance than your safety. And the same applies in this. That, that writer says that it violates social norm. It extends beyond self-interest. We are called not only to give what we can afford, but to give sacrificially. One person put it like this to me during the week when I talked to them about it. They said, when we give, we want to be able to look at the fact that because of our giving... Okay, and not in a pride sort of way, but do try this if you give sacrificially, and I know you will feel blessed through it. Because of our giving, we can count stuff that we don't have, but blessing that has been done to somebody else. So give sacrificially. The third thing is this give systematically. Okay, and give systematically. Again, we could get into a big debate over tithing. As I've said, I believe that tithing is a really good principle for us. I think, you know, I would admit that we would struggle to build an argument for it based completely on the New Testament. But across the whole of Scripture, I think what we see is this. Give systematically. So don't just give when you can afford it. Don't just give when, you know, a big windfall comes in. Decide in your hearts before God what you are going to going to give and give it every single month. For some of you, that might mean setting up a direct debit. For some of you, uh, like for us, it's a little bit different because my wife, I don't know why I'm saying my wife, it's not, because Karen works differently. And so our systematic giving can change from month to month. So every, but every time the money comes in, bang, it goes out, Southside giving. Okay, so, so give systematically, set up a, something that you decide before God, having taken on board perhaps what I, well not perhaps, what I'm saying this morning, your own study of scripture, your own uh, reading of articles and listening to other people as well if you need to, but give systematically, not just one-offs. Not just from time to time. Give systematically. God set that up in the Old Testament so that when, the, when, they, when they got the harvest, when they got the grain, when they got the crops, the first thing they did was they gave. It was a systematic process of giving. But also, also, give spontaneously. That's what we read in Acts 4. Barnabas, okay, the, the, the son of encouragement, um, you know, he, he didn't just give systematically. I believe that he probably did. I believe that Paul will have done that. I believe that Jesus will have done that. Remember, these were good Jewish people. But, they, but also, we read that Barnabas was like, oh, I'm going to go and sell that, and I'm going to give the money to the church. 
or I've got a windfall. I'm actually going to give, uh, I'm going to give the money to the church or I've got a windfall. I'm going to give some of it to the church. I'm going to give some of it to something else. But give spontaneously. Also, uh, in relation to that, I just want to say one thing very quickly. It is good at times, okay? And I'm, we're not talking about starting to wave your money around. And again, I, you know, I wanted to share that wee bit at the start just to, because I, I want you to know this is impacting on me as well. I'm not just that high, you know, ivory tower sort of speaking at you guys, but also give in secret, okay? Because when you give in secret, there is only one person who can be praised. Who is that person? Jesus. Like the other week, we got some money put through the front door just saying for Nick, Karen and the girls. We don't know who it was from. Uh, We didn't need it, but we were blessed by it, okay? And The only person who can receive glory from that is Jesus because I don't know who gave it to us. Okay? So there is systematic giving. There is spontaneous giving. There is secret giving. Um, And give prayerfully in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. And that's why I'm saying you need to go away this morning and be praying if you're not already praying about it. But 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says that each person should give what they've decided in their hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you are not praying about what you give, please start. If you are not praying with an open heart to the Holy Spirit, saying, actually, I want you to give more, then please start praying about it with an open heart. But pray. Ask Jesus in light of who you are, God, in light of what you've given to me, in light of this whole world in which we live, what are you calling me to give? So give generously, give sacrificially, give systematically, spontaneously, secretly, give prayerfully. And then finally this, give cheerfully, okay? But by give cheerfully, it doesn't mean that you're always going to feel happy about it, okay? Um, I, I, I was chatting to somebody during the week, and they had a friend who was a businessman who was convicted by the Holy Spirit, came to faith, then was convicted by the Holy Spirit again. Martin Luther actually said that you need to have your wallets converted as well, and that happened to this businessman. And, and my friend said to him, did you feel cheerful when you wrote that check? He said, no, I did not feel cheerful when I wrote the check. But man, I felt so cheerful after I put it into the offering. And that's that blessedness, if you like. But the other thing to remember is this, okay? Or not remember, because again, you might be hearing it for the first time. The root of that word cheerfully apparently comes from, uh, from the same word that we get the word hilariously from. And I was actually listening to a talk about, the, about giving this week um, in my preparation. And he was like saying, oh, you know, we need to give hilariously. Um, We need to be so excited, hilariously, but I actually took it another way. And it is this, if you had told me 15 years ago of some of the things that God has allowed me to do with my finance, I would have cracked up. It would have genuinely been hilarious. I could have had the BMW that I've always wanted, you know, if it wasn't for how God has led me, to, led me to give. That is hilarious, okay? Don't just think cheerfully. Think hilariously, as in, that is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that God has called me to give in that way. It shouldn't just be cheerful. It should be hilarious in a it-doesn't-make-sense kind of hilarity way. I would love, I'll finish with this and a final quote. I would love us to give more. And I make this commitment to you. If you give more, 
if we, sorry, because I've said it's we, if we give more, we will give more away. And if we give more, we will not do it in order that we can build up the coffers here. We will, we will give more in order that, as, you know, as it teaches in, in, in the New Testament, I believe, we can support the work of staff in this place, okay? Not with a wage, but with a stipend. I want to say I don't get a salary from Southside. I get a stipend, which releases me from doing other work in order to focus on the work of being pastor here. But, but we, will, we will call more staff people in order, not that they might do the work for us, but that they might help facilitate the work. We will give more, more away. I, I, I would love for us to be a church that in, our, in ourselves, nobody else needs to know about it, is so generous that we can be even more of a blessing in, this, in, in our town, in our nation, and in this world. And ever since the day I became pastor, I have said in our leadership meetings, we need to raise the percentage of our regular giving. And sometimes we have and sometimes we haven't. But friends, I want to commit to you this morning, we're going to get back to that. To raising it. To raising it regularly. Because God is the greatest giver and we want to reflect him. I want to finish off just by reading you this, uh, this quote that I came across during the week. Uh, if the band want to come back up so that they're ready to lead us. But, uh, so Caesar Hadrian was in about the, the beginning of the first century. He was the Roman Empire. Uh, Roman Empire. He was the Roman Emperor. And uh, and and. And what Hadrian wanted to know, he just didn't get this whole Christian community. He didn't get these people. He didn't understand these people. And so he sent somebody, he sent somebody into them to, to, to basically spy and figure out what they were all about, what the Christian community was all about. And this is what the guy wrote back to him. They love one another. They love one another. And he who has gives to him who is not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any poor or needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. That's worth being a part of, isn't it? May we be generous, sacrificial, spontaneous, excited, passionate givers. And may we, as we look back on our giving and the journey that God wants to take us on in this area, look back and say, that is hilarious. <laughs> Without the Holy Spirit at work, it would never be possible. As the person said to me last week, it's not natural. And amen, it is not natural. It is a work of the Spirit in us, through us, for the blessing of all creation.